First John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, it says this, that Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this is a pretty cool verse because sometimes when you read scripture, there'll, there'll be a, like a, a command and then at the backside of it will be a promise. And so on this one, Jesus is saying on the front side, he's saying if, so it's conditional. In other words, it depends on you. If you will get out of your comfort zone, if you will get out of your bed, if, (laughs) come on, if you'll wake up a little bit earlier, if you'll get your Bible and crack it open, and if you'll turn your phone off, and then if you'll let this thing get into your life into every area, the word of God, then you will truly be one of his disciples. Then here comes the promise. The promise on the backside of that says that then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Just reading a scripture doesn't set you free. It's knowing the truth with the type of knowledge that comes from experience, not just from intellect. Amen. We got to get past this too, too for too long. The church has been focused on getting the Bible here when really it doesn't it, it, it just passes through here. Its destination is here. Right. And how does it get here? It gets here when you read it and you study it and maybe even pray it. But then when you're out walking and living life and you run into a situation where that same word that you just read becomes alive and you take that word and you go, oh, this fits here. And you apply it to your life. Guess what? You've just grown in the kind of knowledge that will truly set you free. Isn't that good? It's called experiential knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge. I want you to be a Bible scholar. I want you to know your Bible inside now. But more importantly, I want your Bible to know you. Amen? And listen, that's a promise for me because that means that I don't have to know it so much here. I just got to get it here. You see, some people are scared to read their Bibles because they were scared to go to school. (laughs) They just don't like learning. Come on, somebody. But he says, if you'll hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And that truth, that knowledge, that, that experiential knowledge, that's the kind of truth that sets you free. So that's what I'm after today. I want to get this deep down inside of us. So let me show you four things or four ways to hold on to God's word this morning. Four ways to hold on to God's word. And by the way, that's the title of this message is holding on to God's word. And so when we leave here today, I want you to be not only inspired, but I want you to be equipped on how to hold on to God's word. It's my obligation and my responsibility to equip you to do the work of the ministry, the Bible says. So I'm, I'm supposed to equip you and then send you out to go and do ministry. You follow me? So part of my message is to inspire you, kind of put a little flame in your, in your seat and get you excited and kind of uncomfortable maybe and get you a little wound up a little bit and then The other part of that is to equip you and to give you something practical and tangible that you can actually take and apply. Amen? So that's what I want to do this morning. Four ways to hold on to God's word. Number one, make it the foundation of your life. You need to make God's word the foundation of your life. In other words, your life needs to be built on and around the word of God. You got to get the attitude and the mindset that if God's word says it, I believe it and it'll be done. You need to stop questioning God's word in the sense of, is it really true? 
or does it really work? You need to shut those, those, those voices up in your mind and you say, you know what? This is God's word. I'm going to build my life on it and the gates of hell will not prevail against me and I will succeed in everything that I do. Amen? That's the kind of attitude we need to get. So you have to make it the foundation of your life. And listen to me. It takes effort. It takes energy. But it takes discipline. It takes making an appointment. You need to set an appointment every day to be in God's word. Like build the rest of your schedule for your day around this appointment. It would almost be as if you had some type of cancer and you had to go to the doctor every day to live. Come on. I have to have God's word today. You know, the Bible says that it's a light unto our path. You want to see where you're going today? Get the light first. (laughs) When you get up in the morning, get your coffee, use the bathroom, take care of the necessities. Because you can't read God's word when you're falling asleep. And then go get it and let it light up your path. Make it the foundation of your life. I want to see today. I don't want to wander through this day in darkness. Come on. Wondering if I'm doing the right thing. Trying to guess if, if this is what God wants me to do. We need to have confidence. That this is what God's want me to, this is what God wants me to do. He wants me to be the light in darkness. Amen? Making sense? So make it the foundation of your life. Matthew 7, 24 says that anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Anyone or everyone, the Bible says. That, that, that means you. If you'll read it and apply it and practice it, You'll be wise. <laughs> Come on. Listen, I didn't do good in school. I didn't like school. To me, school ain't made for boys. It's made for girls. You want to teach me? Bring me outside. Give me something I can beat something up with or build something or tear something. I'm going to learn today. Right? I didn't like school. I, I wasn't even interested in being wise. But you know what? When I take God's word and I apply it to my life, the Bible says that I become wise. Wow, I don't have a degree. Come on, I don't need a piece of paper. I'm living proof that the word of God works. Amen? And so he says, he says in Matthew that, that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I just want to tell you today that it doesn't matter how pretty your life is, how together it seems like it is, that nobody really knows how good your life is until a storm comes. You know, people idolize sports, uh, you know, sports people and, and, you know, LeBron James is big right now and all these other guys because the NBA finals are going on. So everybody's, ah, oh, LeBron, he's the king. They call him King LeBron. He ain't no king. And we, we, we take movie stars and we put them on this high pedestal. Why? Because it just simply looks like they got it all together. But the truth is, is you don't know what's going to stick together till a storm comes. Come on, somebody. I was in the foundational business for nine years. My work never got appreciated until it was tested. Nobody, nobody walked up to a job and said, whoo, look at that foundation. Wow. They couldn't. It was all covered up. But when the, when the strong winds came and the hurricanes came and the tornado peeled off and everything that was anchored to that foundation continued to stand, everybody went, 
Ooh, that was a foundation. Man, I'm glad we got that one right. Amen? So listen to me. Don't, don't focus on what people look like. Don't be impressed by what, what it looks like on the outside. Don't be impressed with their two-by-fours and their windows and their crown molding and their granite countertops and their stainless steel appliances. Don't be impressed by that. Be impressed by what all that's anchored to because that's what's important, right? That's what's important. It's what we're anchored to. So let me give you four things to not build your life on. Here are four things real quick. Popular culture. You don't need to build your life on popular culture. Just because it's new and it's improved and it's the latest version and you think your life's going to get better just because you get the newest iPhone, let me tell you something, that one will let you down too. Just like the last one did. Come on, somebody. Popular culture. Don't, don't build your life on popular culture. How much of the secular world are you going to let into your life? You see, when I read my Bible, it's constantly telling me to separate myself from this world. In other words, stop acting like the world and start acting like a child of the king. The world is a second grade. It's, it's just like, it's, that's like, that's like the, the minor leagues. You, you need to act like you belong to the major leagues. You need to act like you're a son or daughter of the king. You're not a peasant anymore. Come on, somebody. So stop acting like a peasant. Stop trying to imitate the world. Stop trying to be secular like the world. Exodus 23.2 says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. That's just wisdom right there. The second thing you don't want to build your life on is tradition. A lot of people build their lives on traditions. Well, we've been doing this for years. You heard the story of the lady that always cut the roast in half. And one day her, her daughter came and said, mom, why'd you cut the roast in half? Well, I don't know. I guess because my mom always cut the roast in half. Call her and ask her. And she called my mom. She said, Mama, why'd you always cut the roast in half? She said, oh, Shad, that was the biggest pot I had. That's the only thing that would fit in it. They had a tradition and they didn't even know why. (laughs) You follow me? There's churches today that have these traditions. I'm not going to say any names, but their traditions are that once a year for about a month, they act right. But as soon as that last day's up, come on, somebody, scratch all the acting right, scratch all the not eating this and not eating that, we're going to, I don't need to say it. We need, we, we need not to live by tradition and we need to live by God's word. And Listen, traditions are okay, but they're just not good foundations for your life because traditions will lock you into a place that you can't get out of. My wife and I used to have a tradition that every good Friday we would go to her grandmother's house and they'd been doing this for years when I came along. And before I came back to Jesus, we would go to her grandmother's house and we'd boil about 200 pounds of crawfish and drink the whole time. And the tradition was, is that as soon as the crawfish was, was, was done and the older folks were ready to go home, all us young folks would go hit this bar out in the middle of nowheres and get sloppy drunk. That was a tradition. It was stupid. Well, when, when Cheryl got saved and I came back to Christ, it was like, uh, I can't do this no more. We had to break a tradition. We got scorned. We got talked about. Oh, you're messing everything up. Everything was fine until you got saved. Right? Mark 7, 8 says that, that you, have, you, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human 
traditions when we need to be holding on to God's word. Amen. The third one is this reason. Reason is not a good thing to build your life on. Some people are think first, understand first before I do anything. And listen, I understand intellectual people and I appreciate those who are who are analytical and they process because I need those kinds of people in my life. I need to surround myself with those kinds of people because I'm a kind of. Now, the older I get, I start to analyze a little bit more because it just hurts now when you make a mistake. (laughs) I'm learning the hard way. But reason, some people won't move on what God's word tells them to move on because they don't understand it. Or they won't do it because they, they're reasoning in your mind. Well, no, that don't make sense. If, if I give 10% of my income to God, then, then that's 10% less that I can invest and lead to my kids. That don't make sense. You see? It's reason. You can't build your life on reason. You can't build it. On reason, the church, the churches today have been have been changing and, they, and they're, they're wanting to reason things about like topics like like homosexuality and same sex marriage and parenting and even marriage in itself. The church is trying to reason on how can we get people to to come into the church if we'll just if we'll reason, maybe help them make sense to it all. Then then maybe they'll come and they've compromised in the process because they're trying to reason. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. (laughs) Anytime you're tempted to do something because it makes sense, but it's contradictory to God's word. Don't do it. Do what God's word says to do. And then let him make it make sense. Come on, somebody. I learned that in business. When I was in business, there was a lot of things that the business world tells you to do this. These are the principles. You have to do this. You have to go this way. You got to get in this lane and you got to run this lane all the way through. That's how you succeed in business. That's not necessarily God's way. Amen. So reason is not a good thing to build your life on. The fourth one seems kind of silly and I'm almost embarrassed to use it as a point. But the reality is, is I know a lot of people that build their life on this thing and it's called feelings. And I tell you, I just I I get I get this holy frustration inside of me when people base or build their life on their feelings and and their feelings drive their life. Their feelings are sitting in the driver's seat and they're sitting in the passenger seat. And wherever feelings wants to go, we're going to go. And I'm going, are you crazy? Don't do that. Don't let your feelings determine your life. Don't let it determine which way you're going to go. You tell your feelings what to do, not your feelings telling you what to do. I know from my own experience, my feelings have lied to me most of the time. They rarely tell the truth. And my feelings get me in trouble. And let me tell you something. When your life is led by your feelings, chaos ensues. I'll prove it to you. The book of Judges is one of the most chaotic books in the Bible. More chaos in the book of Judges than any other book in the Bible. And the simple reason was because the people of Israel didn't want to have a king anymore. They didn't want to be told what to do. They wanted to do what felt good. Go read the book of Judges. And you'll understand what happens when we let our lives be driven by our feelings. Chaos usually ensues. 
In fact, the last verse in Judges says this, that at that time there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. They, they, they did whatever they felt like doing. You follow me? There was no king and they did what they felt like doing. It was the most chaotic book in the Bible. You with me? So the best way to, to test all this and to find out where your foundation is, is to answer these two questions. What do I do when I don't understand? You need to answer that question. When I'm reading God's word and I read something in there that I don't understand, it tells me to do something that I don't understand. What am I going to do? Well, you got two choices. You're either going to trust it or you're going to walk away from it. And I know a lot of people today that don't read their Bible because they don't want to do what it says. And they use the excuse that I don't understand. Let me speak to that for a minute. I don't understand the whole Bible. (gasps) You're the pastor. It's true. I don't understand the whole Bible. It's new every time I read it. And listen to me, I'm glad I don't understand it. You know why? Because if I understood everything written in here, then that means that God and me would be the same size. That means that that our understanding would be exactly the same. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God that's as smart as me. (laughs) I want to serve a God that's his ways are higher than mine and his his thoughts are greater than my thoughts. Are you are you with me this morning? I want to serve a God who who does that a God who who is greater than me. I like the fact that I'm not under understanding the Bible all the time. Are you with me? Can somebody help her turn her phone on vibrate? I don't think she knows how to do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Somebody help her out real quick. It's okay. So what, you got to answer the question, what do I do when I don't understand? What do I do? Are you going to do what it says and trust it? Or are you going to just do your own thing and walk away from it? And then the second question we need to answer is what do I do when I don't like it? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Uh, y'all thought y'all was getting off easy. What do I do, Pastor, when I understand what it says, but I just don't want to do it? Come on, all you rebels, raise your hand. Yeah, at least three of you are honest. <laughs> you just don't like it. Come on. I know people that won't read their Bible because they don't like what it says. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Listen to me, there's things in the Bible I don't like. I don't like that it tells me how much I can and can't eat. I don't like the fact that it puts a glutton and a drunkard in the same sentence. That annoys me. (laughs) And it bothers me because I'm I'm looking at my bluebell like a case of beer and I'm going, ah! I don't like it. You know, some of you haven't tasted and seen how good God is because you can't get past whether or not you like it. You know, there's, there's always something on the other side of obedience. And some of us haven't gone there because we don't like it. But let me tell you something today. There's things in your life that are stopped up and they aren't going to move forward until you obey what God says, whether you like it or not. 
I'll give you an example of somebody in the Bible who didn't like it, but he did what God said, and he came to understand God even better. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Abraham was in it. He was 100 plus years old. Isaac was the promised son to him. He didn't have him till he was like 99 or 100. And so Abraham finally gets the promise of his own son from his wife, Sarah. And then finally the promise is here and he's starting to grow up. He's a teenager now. And one morning God says, I want you to take Isaac up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. Hold up. Wait a minute. This is the promised son. I wouldn't have liked it if he told me to take Ethan, even on his worst days. I would still have an issue. But Abraham said, okay, I trust you. I don't like it, and I don't understand, but I trust you. And he packed up Isaac, and he grabbed everything he needed for the, for the, the, the sacrifice, and he went down to the, to the place that God showed him, and he went up on the mountain, and him and Isaac, they built the altar, and he laid Isaac on the altar, And Isaac asked him right before that, Dad, what are we going to sacrifice? He said, listen, son, God's going to provide. Don't you worry. God will provide. Lays his son on the altar, grabs the knife, and he's about to bring the knife down on him. And an angel of the Lord appears and says, hold up. The Lord's seen your heart now. And God in that moment provided another sacrifice. But Abraham left the mountain with the greatest gift ever. It wasn't the life of his son. It was the ability to understand God and to trust him even more. This is Abraham, y'all. He's the one that left his house and traveled all over the place and seen all the incredible things that God did for him. And even in his hundreds, even when he was 100 plus years old, God was still teaching him something. And he was still starting to understand God in some ways. Thank God we can't wrap our mind around God. Amen. Abraham walked out on the backside of obedience you got to get this this morning because some of you are missing out on the goodness of God because you haven't crossed over to the backside of obedience. You've been staying on the front side. Well, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it. It don't feel good. It don't make sense. Just do it. Just step across and do what he says and watch how much deeper you understand God. Amen? What do I do when I don't like it? Second way to hold on to God's word is to make it the first part of your daily life. You got to make it the first part. I don't know why, but God just likes first. When you read your Bible, you start to understand that there's something about the first that God likes. I think personally that he likes to be first in our lives. (laughs) That's pretty... (laughs) Pretty well seen in the scriptures. God likes to be first. You'll have no other gods before me. He likes to be the first in our lives. He's a jealous God, the Bible says. There's something about the first that God just loves. In fact, if you remember the story of Cain and Abel, one of them came with the best of their offering, and it was accepted by God. And the other one came with whatever he had left, and it was not accepted by God. And so there's something about the first that God loves, and so we have to make him his word the first part of our daily life matthew six thirty three says this but seek first the kingdom his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well this verse haunts me 
It haunts me every morning when I get up out of my, out of my bed and I get my coffee fixed and, and I do everything else I need to do and it's time. It haunts me because when I, when I grab my phone and I see I have an email or, or a text message, I, I want to go there first. I want to go social first and God later. Are you following me? Come on, I'm speaking to somebody this morning. I want to take care of a little business for, hang on, God, I'm coming. Come on. But, Lord, you know, I got that meeting. You know, I got to get there. You know, I overslept. It happens. This, va- this verse haunts me. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. But too many times we get it, we get it flipped. We get it backwards. We go, God, I'm going to take care of my business. And as soon as I'm done, I have no distractions. I'll give you all of myself. The problem is there's none of you left. There's nothing left to you. I think he wants the first because he wants the best of you. And that, and that verse says that if you'll just seek me first, I'm going to be with you in the rest of it. In other words, you come take care of me and buddy, I'm going to take care of you. Right? There's something about the first that just gets God's attention. I think it just tells him, man, you know what, God? I ain't doing nothing else until, until me and you spend some time together. I'm not even going to try to do this day. I'm not even going to try to do this job until I spend some time with you first. Because I need you. I need you to lighten my path. I need you to impart something into me that gives me strength for today. Something that gives me wisdom for today. I want to be a vessel for you, thoroughly equipped to do every good work. Something about the first. Let me give you a 15-minute challenge. Some of you go, Pastor, I don't have time. You know, I've got to be at work super. Listen to me. Everybody has 15 minutes. Everybody has 15 minutes. <laughs> you can find 15 minutes somewhere. Instead of watching Paspa 2 in the morning. Listen to me. Paspa 2 don't change. People still commit crimes. The weather still changes every minute. And, 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 and some people do charities. That's Paspa 2. <laughs> if you don't know what Paspa 2 is, that's the news channel in the morning for the, the old folks <laughs> that wake up early. <laughs> that's the way we always saw it. 15 minutes, you can get 15 minutes somewhere. What do I do in that 15 minutes, Pastor? I don't know. I'm going to help you out. You're going to take the first five minutes and you're going to get in the Word. Five minutes of Word. Get you a paper Bible and get you some five minutes in the Word. Where do I go? Go to Psalms. Go to Proverbs. Go to the New Testament. Don't go to Numbers. And don't go to Revelations. (laughs) You ain't ready for that. Get yourself the New Testament, Gospels. You with me? Five minutes. Just take five minutes in the Word, five minutes in worship. Put on some worship music. Amen? Because you need to have a song in your heart. I I was thinking about this last night, and I didn't even realize this was happening, but I started doing this years ago. I'm a musician, and I I love music, but, but part of me just likes to have a song in my heart. I've always got a song in my head going on. And a lot of times I'm humming it. And, and what's funny now is that at the house, I'll walk in I'll, and I'll be humming a worship song. I've been humming all day and the kids will pick up on it and they'll start humming or, or messing around and we'll start. You, you follow what I'm saying? You need to get a little, it'll tame the beast inside of you. Listen to me, worship calms my uptight self down. I could use a little worship right now. 
Just joking. Five minutes in the Word, five minutes in worship, and then five minutes in prayer. But Pastor, what do I pray? Man, can I pray for five minutes? Listen to me, you can pray for five minutes. It takes some of you five minutes to write a text message. Get you some of that. You know who you are, sending out those books and biographies. Five minutes of prayer. What do I do? Listen, it's very simple. Listen, 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 listen to me. You thank God for everything that he's done. Watch this. And then you let him know what you need. It doesn't get any simpler than that. You thank him for what he's done. And then you let him know what you need. And I'll guarantee you're going to look up one day. It's going to be a whole lot longer than five minutes. And you're going to start spending more time on Thanksgiving than you are on request. Can I get a better amen? Ephesians chapter 4 says this. One of my favorite verses. It says this, and, it's, and you, need to, you really ought to memorize this verse because it's powerful. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says this, that... Where's it at? Ephesians 4, 6 and 7. Here we go. No, not glasses. That's not right. Am I in Ephesians? Anyway, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, watch this, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He he simply says you don't need to be anxious about anything. Just let me know what's going on. Just let me know. Let's just, let's talk about it. And then give me thanks for what I've already done. And this, this supernatural, undescribable peace that, that you rarely experience is going to come and it's going to get in front of your heart and it's going to guard your heart. The peace of God. How many of you need the peace of God in your life? Talk to him. Five minutes in the word, five minutes in worship, five minutes in prayer. It'll change your life. It will absolutely Change your life. Number three, make it grow deeper. Make it grow deeper. How do you hold on to God's word? You got to make it grow deeper. I'm glad that you've been here for this series and I'm glad that you've been digging in and and this series is over with, but I don't want to lose what we've learned. I want us to go deeper. I'm always trying to get you to go deeper. And today, that's my goal is to get us deeper. And in Colossians 3, verse 16, it says this. It says to let... The word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now that word let is a is kind of a conditional kind of word. It, it really puts the pressure on you because who does the letting? We do. When I get up in the morning, I make a decision. Am I going to let God's word get inside of my life or not? So the letting is up to me. So therefore I can say this, that you have as much of God as you want. Because you control the gate. Right? You control the door. Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I would come into him. God doesn't kick down doors. Come on, somebody. He wants to be invited in. Let the word of God, watch this, dwell in you richly. 
man, I, I got this friend of mine. It was my business. It's my business partner's wife. Her name is Sabrina. She makes the best desserts. Sabrina can cook some good regular food, but man, her desserts are like the bomb. The problem I have with her desserts is that when I, I get to dessert, I like to eat a lot of dessert. Come on, somebody. And if you're going to make me a Mississippi mud, don't make it too rich because I want to eat a lot of it. I love the way it, it, you know, anyway. She makes these incredible desserts and they're so good, but you can only eat a little piece. Because if you eat too much, you're not going to sleep. <laughs> That's how the word of God needs to be inside of us. It needs to get in here richly. Not something that's going to pass through nice and quick, but let it get inside of you and become rich inside of you. In other words, it consumes everything inside of you and it makes you full. We need to be full of God's word. Is this making sense this morning? Let it dwell. Let it open the door and say, Lord, pour it in until I can't take it no more. Right? So let me show you a little example. Come on, Cheryl, bring me my my prop this morning. I want to show you something about the word of God in our lives. Come on, give it up for my lovely assistant. Thank you, babe. Good warm glass of water and a tea bag. And so for some of us, this represents our life. And this represents God's word. Now, some of us, or what I call one dippers. You take one dip a week and you come to church. So you do this. You, you know, let me do that because it's a good service, you know what I'm saying? So you, you, get, you get one dip. You got too much water. But you see, it, it tended a little bit. Now, I wish my messages did more than that. <laughs> but I just got to be real, they don't. Some of you are just a one dipper. You come to church and you think by coming to church, your life is going to radically change. Let me tell you something. Coming to church is great and you need to take that one dip. But if you'll dip again and get into God's word during the week. Are you seeing this? And then come out. Faulty tea bags. It's tinting a little bit more. You just got to take my word for it. It's okay. Epic fail. But it's tempting and it's getting, you see in the point here this morning, once you add a little Bible reading to it, you dip it in there and it starts to change your life a little bit more. You see, you're responsible for what you let into your life. Amen. And whatever you let into your life is going to determine your life. So if you, you do a little Bible reading, then if you'll do a little bit of prayer time, come on, somebody. Oh, man, it's starting. You, you see it now, it's starting to change. You just didn't spend enough time. That was your problem. Church needs to be longer, like three hours than the first dip would be. Can I get a permission to go three hours? Yeah, y'all all lying. Y'all be half asleep. Then you get a little bit of practice on God's word, and you take another dip. Come on, somebody. And then it starts to change your life. Amen? It's letting the word of God influence your life and not the world influence your life. You got to know when to shut social media down. You got to know when to turn the TV off. 
You got to know where you're at spiritually. What's the spiritual condition of your life? You got to know where that's at so that you can know when you need to shut some things down and go into an all out attack against hell. Amen. When he's throwing things at you like crazy, you got to know when to shut some things down and fill your life up with his word and his presence. Right? Got to make it grow deeper in our lives. So let me show you some dips this morning. Very practical here. Here's the first dip is you need to get a translation you like. Come on, somebody. I feel sorry for every new believer that picks up a King James Version Bible. No wonder why they don't read it. Because we don't speak like that anymore. Amen? I love the King James. It's an incredible translation. But let me tell you something. It's a translation just like any other translation. Some churches swear if you read any other translations, you're going to die and fry. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Can I say that this morning? That is a lie. The King James Version was written back in, I think, 1611 or something like that. And it was written in an English because this is why... let Let me... This is why the Bible had to be translated, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. Okay, so we then had to bring it into English because we don't speak Hebrew and Greek. Anybody? (laughs) So we had to translate it into English. So King James was the first one to translate it into English back around 1611 or something like that. And it was an old English translation. They talked different back then. It was a lot of these and thous and doeths and... You, you sound like Sylvester, the, the cartoon. You know what I'm saying? You, you, it's like when people read King James, that's what I think of. And I, I can't ever. Anyway. But King James was a translation. And so there's three different types of translations in the Bible. And, and, and I want to share those with you real quick. The first one is, a, is what we call a formal equivalency. It's, it's basically translated word for word from the original text, from the original transcripts of the Bible, it's translated word for word. They're called formal equivalents. These are the King James Version, the New King James Version, the New American Standard, and the English Standard Version. Those versions of the Bible are called formal equivalencies. They're translated word by word. Does this make sense? Then we have what we call the functional equivalency. These are translated thought by thought from the original text, but it's, it's more translated thought by thought. These are more of your study Bible types of books. And so they're translated thought by thought. These are the New Living Translation, which is the one I predominantly use, the Good News, uh, today's English version, and the New International Version. Okay? They're called functional equivalencies. So they take a thought from the original text and they transcribe it or translate it into English by that thought. So, so what is, what's, what's the difference is that the, the King James, the New King James, are going to be word before word, that, that you're going to have a harder time understanding those. But if you get into the, the NIV, the NLT, the good news, all those, those functional translations, then, then it starts to take a thought by thought. And it's easier to understand. You follow me? It's still good. It's still original. It's just they capture the thoughts and not word by word. By the way, the NIV translation was written in 1987 and has outsold the King James Version hands down. It is the most read translation of all the Bibles. 
It's just easy to understand. It's, it talks like we talk. Come on, somebody. It don't talk Cajun French, but it talks like you can understand. And then the third thing we have is, is what we call a paraphrase. And these, they didn't even go back to the original text. They just took these off of the English translations. I call it the hood version of the Bible. <laughs> it's like it speaks street language. Like the living Bible, there's two of them, the living Bible and the message. They aren't necessarily study translations or formal translations, but they're, they just kind of break it down for you real good. So every once in a while, I'll go back to the message and I'll read something because it'll just say something that's just funny. Like it'll make a verse come alive. Where I can really understand it. And I don't, I don't use it all the time, but I, I use it every now and then. And it's, it just, it, it speaks to me. You know what I'm saying? It kind of hits me in my Franklin a little bit. You know, kind of my, breaks it down for me, you know? And so those are the different translations. So you need to get a translation that you like. You need to get one that you understand. Amen? I'm just trying to give you something tangible to take home with you. You need to get a study Bible. What's a study Bible, Pastor? A study Bible is, some, is a Bible that somebody took... And they, they, they took the Bible and they studied it for a long time and then they kind of broke it down for you. So at the bottom of the page, typically, there's something written like a commentary and it's basically kind of giving you some, some historical facts and some geographical facts, that kind of stuff. But it's, it's just helping you to understand the Bible. I love my study Bible. I just got a Nelson study Bible about a year or two ago and it's really helped me to understand my Bible because it gives me the background of what was going on in those days which really opens up my mind. So let me give you a couple of uh, study Bibles. You may want to write these down. The Nelson Study Bible is a good one. Uh, The Life Application Study Bible. Uh, The New Spirit Field Life Bible. And John Maxwell's got one out called the Maxwell's Leadership Study Bible. It's really good if you're a business person also. It's got a lot of business principles in there. Okay? So the first dip is to get a translation you can understand that you like. The second one is to get a study Bible. And then the third one... This is going to be the long dip. It's to get into a life group. Let me tell you why you need to get into a life group. You need to get into a life group so that you can have discussions. You see, we can't discuss a whole lot today, right? Because I'm hogging the microphone. It's my turn. (laughs) But, But you need to get into a life group where you can begin to talk about how the Bible's become alive. You can talk about things that maybe you don't understand. And let me, show, let me tell you something. God always sends people into those, those life groups that, that are there to help you. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you don't ever get around other people, you're dull. In fact, you're weird. I know that was kind of harsh, but it's just true. You need to get around some other people. You know why? Because there's some rough edges on your life that need to be knocked off. You need to rub elbows with some folks. Amen? You need to get into a life group. You can do that today. In fact, right after this service, we're, we're launching our life groups this week, our summer semester. It's only six weeks long. You know, Pastor, you know, I don't know if I can commit to 12 or 13 weeks long, but commit to six. You can sign up today. I think we have two life groups going this, this semester. We, my wife and I are doing a marriage group, and Billy and Addie are doing a, a biblical foundations uh, life group. And you don't want to miss either one of them. So you can sign up today right in the foyer right after church. So get into a life group. So what's happened? What's happened is, is your life is different. You're no longer a glass of water, which my prop ain't working good. You're no longer a glass of water. Is that green tea? That's green tea. 
See, that, that's what's messed up. It's green tea. So it's actually pretty much ready to drink right now. See, it's pretty rich, but it's green tea. I'll mess with you later. <laughs> but when you start to dip, and I'm trying to get you to take more dips, you start to dip and you start to get active with God's word, your life will change. The Bible promises that it, it, it changes your life. If you'll do what it says, it will change your life. You're no longer a glass of water, baby. You're a glass of tea, green tea, the healthiest tea you can drink. It's got all these diuretics in it. It's better than regular tea. Come on, somebody. God don't want you to be regular tea. You're going to be green tea. There you go. Did I rescue that? Hopefully I rescued that somehow. I tried to, let me see if I can come up with a new word, charismatically, no, charismize it. I tried to charismize that. I don't know if it worked. Let me give you the last one real quick. The fourth one. You getting something yet? (laughs) So number one, first way to hold on to God's word is, is, to, is to make it the foundation of your life. The second way is to make it the first part of your daily life. And the third is to make it grow deeper in your life. And then the final one is to make it a weapon for the challenges of your life. You say, well, golly, Pastor, that sounds kind of militant. I mean, that's, let me tell you something. Your Bible is very military. Your Bible describes a war that we're in. It's called a spiritual battle. It says clearly that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. It's against spiritual things in the heavenly realms. It's against spiritual enemies in the heavenly realms. It's, it's, it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle you can't always see right here in front of you, but it's, there's a battle going on. And, and the Bible s- describes for us in the book of, excuse me, in the book of Ephesians chapter six, the Bible talks about the whole armor of God. And it goes into this very detailed description of our armor says something about our, our helmet, our breastplate, our shield, our belt. It even, talk, it even talks about the armor on our shoes that shot our feet and keep us standing firm. And most of it talks about our armor. But there's one portion that talks about our weapon. You see, we got all this armor, but we only got one weapon. You know what that weapon is? It's this right here. So you can have the armor and you can be fully dressed for battle but if you don't have your weapon you can't fight all you can do is sit there and take licks and you know what there's people in our church today and there's people all over the world today that are Christians they're born again filled with God's spirit and they got their armor on they got a shield they got breastplate they got something around their waist they got a helmet on They got shoes on, and they think that's enough. It's not enough. God gives us a weapon to fight back with. It's called the Word of God. And if you don't have it, you can't fight back. And I don't know about you, but I get sick and tired of taking licks from the enemy. 
There's times I just want to stop getting hit. Come on, son. Can we just be real this morning? I want him to stop. I want to knock him down so hard that I get a break. Are you hearing me this morning? I want to fight back. I want to send that sucker running. I want to see what the Bible says that if I resist him, he's going to flee from me. So I want to pull out my sword and watch him run away with his tail tucked between his legs. Amen? Jesus fought back. Jesus fought back. In fact, when Jesus was in the the desert being tempted by the enemy, he was 40 days in the desert with no food or water, being tempted by the devil. Right after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he comes out of the water, the the dove, which represented the Holy Spirit, comes and lands upon him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes into the wilderness, straight into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil's coming after him left and right, throwing everything he's got at him. Because if he can kill Jesus, he can, and he can get Jesus to deny God, then he's one. So he's throwing everything he's got at Jesus. What does Jesus fight with? His sword, the word of God. You know what he said three times that we read? Every time the enemy tried to throw a lie at Jesus, what did Jesus say? It is written. It is written. It is written. No, you're not coming in here with that because it's written. You see, you got to get a little audacity inside of you. You need to have some confidence in God's word. So when the enemy comes, you go, no, 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 no. You ain't coming in here with that. I ain't got time for that. Come on, somebody. We'll tell people that, but we won't tell the devil that. I ain't listening to those lies anymore. I ain't believing those lies anymore. This is what the word says. Amen. You got to learn how to fight back. That's pretty good. I've seen that. <laughs> I have never fenced before in my life. I thought that was pretty good. But you got to learn how to fight back. Too many Christians today, we just stand there and we just take licks. Listen to me. You're not Rocky Balboa in the spirit. The more licks you take, the stronger you're going to get. That's not true. He's given us a weapon. We got to use it. We got to use it in every area. Of our life. Amen. If Jesus used it. Then we got to use it. All the time. Right. How do we do that? By memorizing scripture. Is a good way. (laughs) You need to have a word. For what you're walking through. You need to have a word. For what you're walking. Does that mean, Pastor, I got to go memorize it before I walk through it? No. Listen to me. I've memorized scripture just simply because those are the, the words that God gave me to hang on to when I got through what I was going through. And now the next time it comes, I stand in front of it and I say, oh, no, Jack, you ain't coming in here like that. Right? When financial trouble comes my way, my wife and I's way, we can stand and say to the, to the enemy, say, no, my God says it is written that my God will sh- supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Oh, you're going to be broke. You're going to run out of money. You're going to have to lose your house. You're going to lose your car. Oh, you, you're not going to be able to wear popular clothes. Oh, it's all going to fall apart. Shut up. My God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory. He'll drop it from the sky like he did in the Old Testament. He can still do that today. Amen. He will supply my need. My trust, my hope, my provision, it's all found in him. When sickness comes your way, by his stripes I've been healed. Let me tell you something, devil. It's written that by Jesus' stripes, you know the one you couldn't stop? By his stripes, I'm healed. 
You need to get some verses deep down inside of you. Let me close with this last verse. Come on, Virginia. This last verse, and I'm going to pray this verse over you. It was one of my memory verses back in the early days. And, man, it really helped my life. And I want to I give it to you this morning. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to pray it over you. It comes out of Psalms 119, verse 9 to 11, the longest, book in the, the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalms 119, 9, 11 says this. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, what that verse tells us is how can a young man stay pure? Number one, how can you stay pure and holy? By, by, by holding on to God's word. Then you, you take God's word and over a little bit of time, if you give it 15 minutes a day, and you start to, to, to read it and then pray over it and then worship God, you just take those 15 minutes a day, you, you'll eventually start getting it inside of you. And the Bible says that, 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 uh, that your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I find it amazing that we believe it We believe it works, but still we don't do it. Still we have a struggle with it. Even even teenagers have a struggle with just digging into God's word and making it the first thing in their life. We believe it. We believe it'll work, but we kind of look at it sometimes like a diet plan. You know, I believe Bowflex really works. And I even bought one one time. And I thought that if I bought it and put it in a room, that it would just work. It don't work until you get on it and exercise it. Amen? So don't look at God's word like an exercise program or something where you go, you know what, I bet that really works. Jump into it, dig into it, make it the foundation of your life this morning. Can we do that? Come on, I'm challenging you this morning.